Welcome to this week's episode of the HS Health Tech Podcast. My name's James, one of the founders of HS, and with me this week, I have Robin Farman Farmayan, which I hope I've said correctly. Um, Robin's incredibly uplifting, inspiring, amazing person from the US, um, and I'll tell you a lot more about her in a second. But first of all, um, I'd like to shout out to a few of our international listeners. So we're now listened to in 40 different countries. Our 40th country, funnily enough, was the Maldives. Um, so if you are listening to us from the Maldives, do get in touch. But we want to hear from you all. So if you're from the US, Romania, the Ukraine, Ethiopia, Kenya, Japan, we listen to in all those different places. Say hi and at tag us on Twitter at HS Venture or do comment on one of our Instagram posts and you can follow us on Insta at hs.ventures. Um, a couple of people that have said hi, so Embez15 wrote us a five-star review on iTunes. Thank you for that. He says, brilliant podcast. I'm in America and similarly interested in the convergence of health and tech innovation. So hearing these discussions from across the pond is fascinating, informative, insightful, and entertaining. Highly recommend this pod. Thank you, sir, for listening and your support. Also, someone from Sweden, so Per Lundqvist. hope I've said that correctly. My Swedish isn't quite on point. He says, hi, James. Great podcast you're running. He actually got in touch via LinkedIn. I discovered it since I've been in contact with Mark, one of our previous guests, and work with both startups and strategy work with some of the regions running the healthcare in Sweden. I'm also passionate about introducing OKRs more in this sector as a way to get more focused on the digital and cultural transformation needed, as are we, sir. Um, he looks forward to sharing some more experiences with us. Best regards. Thank you, Pear. Um, anyway, on to my actual guests. So Robin is, as I said, uplifting, inspiring, incredible. She's a health tech expert, global speaker, author of the Amazon number one bestseller, The Patient as CEO, How Technology Empowers the Healthcare Consumer. And this journey for her all started when she actually had Crohn's disease and it was misdiagnosed for over a decade. But the thing is, I guess, despite getting, you know, pretty rough deal from the medical world, you know, multiple surgeries, she had organs removed. She's not actually angry. She's not actually bitter. She's instead made it her goal to positively affect over one million people in the world through new drugs and technologies. She's worked, therefore, in 25 different health tech companies. She now angel invests, and she backs companies like Dance Biofarm, who are currently doing clinical trials for an inhaled insulin vaporized from a liquid. Octavalon, which is looking at something called the P53 pathway, which basically has the potential to treat 50% of all cancers. And MindMaze VR who are a digital health company that have raised over $100 million in part from none other than Leonardo DiCaprio to deliver VR therapy to brain injury patients. They actually have a bit of a unicorn status as they're now valued at $1 billion. We also talk about how she built and monetized an ecosystem around herself through giving and basically adding value to others and how through a new book, which is called The Thought Leader Formula, she's teaching others in healthcare to become entrepreneurs themselves. 
So for those of you that listen a bit more regularly, you'll hear that this is a slightly different format to normal in that we bounce around a lot. And I guess it's because, you know, I'm so keen to extract nuggets of information that you'll often hear me trying to go off on tangents and essentially struggling to keep up with Robin's pure energy and speed of thought and ideas. But, you know, I really enjoyed this one. So hope you guys enjoy it too. And remember to let us know what you think on Twitter and Instagram. Enjoy. Welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast. Um, so, Robin, speaker, author, entrepreneur, angel investor, all in the health tech space. I mean, you're sort of overqualified to come onto our podcast, if anything, but I'll sort of jump straight in and just say, or just ask you, you know, which one of those do you identify with most? What's the, who's the real Robin? Probably the professional speaker and entrepreneur. Those are, those are really okay. kind of who I am. Cool. So I guess with that in mind, then, why don't you tell us your story of how you got to where you are? Sure. So I now have worked with over uh, 25 companies, and most of those are early stage healthcare companies or artificial intelligence companies. And uh, I mean, I grew up surrounded by, first of all, innovative medicine, because my mom was a pediatrician, one of three women in the entire medical school. And my dad is an MIT scientist turned patent attorney, meaning you know he works on things like biotech and med device patents, among other things. So I grew up just surrounded by innovations in medicine. And then at the age of 16, I ended up getting an autoimmune disease. And I was misdiagnosed, it turns out, for about 13 years, all told. And by the time I was 26, I'd had six major surgeries and three organs removed. So Yeah, so that's one of my biggest drivers is because... Finally, at the age of 26, I fired my healthcare team uh, because I was still misdiagnosed after all those surgeries. I ended up rebuilding it and getting diagnosed correctly, put on a game-changing pharmaceutical drug called Remicade. It's a biologic. And I went into remission overnight. And so that's why I do what I do. Because first of all, I, I know medicine inside and out, but, but I want to pay it forward because I understand that it's not just the doctors and the nurses um, that worked on my case and why that's I'm alive today, right? And a functioning adult today. But I know it's, it's all the, the pharmaceutical companies and med device and software and hospital systems and payers and all these different companies coming together that that's the reason I'm alive today. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, remission overnight with just one medication i mean that is a i can see where your motivation comes from to obviously find the the next innovations the next drugs the next things that can do that for people because i imagine i mean quite literally that is life-changing overnight yep absolutely i mean it took a while to get to that life-changing part right i had to get off medications i had to find the right team who diagnosed me correctly and prescribed the drug but mm. once that drug was prescribed, bam, I went into remission. And that happens, I think, with this particular drug over, I think about a quarter of patients respond that well to it. And I, I love your almost mentality there to, to repay rather than to criticize or hold in contempt or resent the medical profession or, you know, the, even the innovation side or the drug side, you know, you don't have any of that. It, it just sounds like you're incredibly positive And you, as you say, you just want to repay what must've been quite a traumatic experience. I mean, for 13 years being misdiagnosed, you know, multiple surgeries, three organs removed. I mean, that's, you, you'd be very much forgiven from me for, for hating anything medical after that, let alone doing everything that you've done recently. 
Well, there's always two ways to look at every situation. You can look at it from the victim point of view, or you can look at it from the opportunity point of view. And so, I mean, my every day, I'm still in pretty extreme pain. Um, I still have a lot of things I have to worry about, and I have to worry about future surgeries just because when you've had, I've had my large intestine taken out. So when you've had as much GI surgery as I've had, you typically um, have to go back into the OR. And so I have been avoiding that. But I've, I look at this instead of, of wallowing in grief every day. Oh my gosh, I'm in pain, blah, blah, blah. Why not just spend my life making other people's lives better? So it gives me a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Like, wow, what I do can make at least 100 million patients worldwide better. Like that is mm. my personal life goal. Wow. So tell me about the early days then. You've worked with over 20 odd companies that you've, that you've mentioned. Um, how did you very first get involved in the medical side and, and what was sort of driving you at that point to, to build a career? So I had literally just recently had gone into remission when I got into the industry and I had just finished taking a Stanford course on, uh, on writing and I ended up getting a job at a genetic sequencing company. It was the world's first consumer facing genetic testing company. We were based in Florida and I worked from San Francisco and I wrote the algorithms that led from the, from the um, clients, uh, from the client tests to the client reports and for things like our eye test, we tested for four genes, which is nothing now. It's hilarious. We tested <laughs> like you can't even, but this was 2005. And so for that, I wrote like 96,000 algorithms. I think it was mathematical. It was super easy. Um, and I wrote the client reports. And so that was my very first foray into the world of healthcare. Wow. I love that you just said that. That was super easy. That's hilarious. <laughs> mathematical it's not like what they do now it's 14 <laughs> years later when you say people are creating algorithms or the ai algorithm yeah like mine was 96,000 lines on a spreadsheet that was a lot of copy paste <laughs> right? like <laughs> i'm sure there was more to it than just copy and pasting i'm sure you're just being humble there but um no that 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 is fascinating so so from there then um, how does, you know, doing that turn into the 25th company that you work with? Talk me through that journey. So I am one of those crazy early stage entrepreneurs and I like to do multiple things at once. Like I've never worked in a company with more than 50 to hundred employees. And that's kind of overwhelmingly huge for me. Mm. And so I like to work on two to six companies at any given time. And so right after genetic testing, I got into electronic medical records. And again, this was 2009. Wait, no, sorry, even 2007, 2008. So this was right when EMRs were like hitting the market. Oh, wow. Right? So I got uh, every single time there's something really cutting edge and brand new, I like to get in on it right when it hits and then, um, and then you know, get more experience. So now I have experience in a significant number of medical device companies. We're talking the ones that go through FDA approval, pharmaceutical companies, um, and software companies. And what's your, what's your favorite type of company to work in then? Obviously, you've spread your bets across loads there. And I, we'll talk about your investments and your current stuff now, a bit later on. But yeah, what, what, were you, what were you looking for when you go into each of those companies? You know, what, were you actively going, okay, I, need to, I want to work at a device company. I want to work for an EMR company. Were you picking technologies? Were you picking clinical areas? How are you making your moves at that point? So uh, they find me. Every single position I have ever had has found me. And so I actually wrote an article on how to do this. I've created an ecosystem around myself, uh, which really just lands opportunities in my lap almost on a daily basis. 
And so I just picked the ones that, that would really help me reach my life goal of impacting 100 million patients worldwide, which means it has to focus on one of the you know, big diseases like cancer or autoimmune or diabetes. Mm. Um, and it needs to be using cutting edge technology. Mm. So you've got my attention massively now that you've built an ecosystem around you, that opportunities come to you. I'm sure for quite a lot of people listening that particularly in the UK are looking to build perhaps a personal brand around med tech and health tech. Um, perhaps they're clinicians, perhaps they're coming at this from biomedical engineering or a different sphere like computer science or something. So talk me through then how you built that ecosystem around you to, to allow that to happen. So first of all, if you have read Adam Grant, he wrote a book called Give and Take, and it's all about being a giver. And so if you approach life as an, as, as an opportunity and how you can help people, how, how can you make someone else's life better that day? And you're just always constantly looking at life as a giver versus a taker. Uh, it, it just creates, that alone can create your ecosystem for you, as long as you are spending your time correctly and helping the right people, right? Mm. So I completely agree. And I actually really relate to that. I mean, even as a doctor, I was, you know, I was hell trying to help startups as much as I could would be that to get them into the, the, the places that I was working. And, you know, even when I was running uh, my previous accelerator, I was always, you know, helping startups that got in touch, you know, going for breakfast before work with them and meeting them for drinks afterwards, just to kind of, as you say, uh, at its core just help people that are trying to do a good thing but similar to you you know what happened with me is that people talk to people you know here's this guy that, that can help that can help you get into the nhs or can help you to commercialize your products or can help you get investment and you're right i mean i guess for the both of us then it's, it's led to i guess where we are now but i completely agree with you at its core it's about not taking from every situation and actually just approaching everything as, as how you can help people i i completely relate to that Yep. Well, and you're in at any type of doctor, right? If you're a healthcare professional or practitioner of any kind, you, you are a giver pretty much by default, right? Because you're going into this industry and it's a service industry to help save lives. Mm. No, I completely agree. So let's then talk about how this ecosystem and all these different roles um, are enabling you in your goal, which is to impact 100 million patients worldwide, I think you said. So talk me through how you're doing that. Well, first of all, talk me through actually how you landed on that number. It's quite it, it, relatively specific. Um, but yeah, tell me how you landed on that number and tell me what you're doing to kind of, I guess, support that, facilitate that, get to there. And um, yeah, talk me through a little bit of the journey. So I finally came up with the exact number and that kind of being my tagline about four years ago when I was working at a sleep apnea medical device company. And I chose that number specifically because I realized that the companies I've been working up on up until then have been big enough to impact 100 million patients. And sleep apnea, it looks like probably worldwide there are 100 million cases. So I was like, you know what? This one company could, could actually treat 100 million patients worldwide. Let me make that my life goal. Mm. That's really interesting. I mean, it's, it's funny. Well, even when I've been considering different things to do and different approaches to take, I've always wondered what my actual internal criteria were. And I've never actually sat down and decided it. Um, it'd be interesting to look back at all my career moves and figure out what that was. But it seems like you've done that. And 100 million, I mean, it's a great number. It's a, it's a lot of people. But I imagine that means that you have to say no to quite a lot of stuff, right? 
Oh, absolutely. So the most successful people in life say no to almost everything. Mm. Really understand your goals. If you are intentional with your goals and your time and exactly what you do with your energy on a, and your money on a daily basis, you will succeed. Mm. Right? It's people who just kind of wander through life. You may or may not succeed, right? You're not, you're not creating your own destiny. But if you have your life goal and you, you have a life plan, you can create your own destiny. Mm. And it strikes me that, that it's almost necessary to do that when, I mean, it, it sort of bleeds into, I guess, your investment criteria as well, because as, a, as, an, as, a, as an investor of early stage companies, you're obviously looking for people to make the most impact that have got the biggest markets. And it seems like that's obviously what you need to drive as an investor, but you've then you know, bled that even into your kind of um, operational side of life you've got a few different sides of life that looks of things but yeah it seems like this hundred million is is definitely gold do you think how on target are you to to um to meeting that hundred million and how, how long are you going to set yourself to to get to that oh uh 15 to 20 years and that's because the things that i'm investing in now so one of the companies i'm working on actavalon it's an early stage small uh, small molecule pharmaceutical company which means we're looking at 10 to 12 years minimum of clinical trials ahead of us before we can even get to market right and but if we can because one of the drugs we are working on drug candidates is repairing p53 which is the guardian of the genome which means we could potentially treat or cure more than 50% of all cancer worldwide. If you think about, and this is for lay people, you're, you're a physician, so you understand it <laughs> on a deeper, deeper level, but um, imagine the, the cell, uh, the human cell is kind of like a walnut, and P53 is that walnut shell. Now, what happens if, if cancer gets into that walnut, the walnut shell kills the walnut, right? It, mm -hmm. The P53, that shell, it detects the cancer, it makes the cell kill itself, and bam, you've killed the cancer, right? But what happens is the walnut shell, P53, in 50% or more, or more of cancer cases, it's actually damaged. And if P53 is damaged, it cannot detect cancer and kill the cell itself. Mm. So we're going in there and repairing, we are repairing P53. How did you come across Octavalon as a company, as an investment prospect? Where did you, where did you find them? Or, or did they find you indeed because of your ecosystem that you've built? Yep, they found me. They found you. <laughs> yep. Awesome. And so when you looked at that company, let's talk about this from, from being an investor then. So how did that company end up from that very first interaction they had with you, whether that was an email, whether that was a request for a meeting? How, tell me, talk me through the journey of them approaching you to then getting investment from you. Sure. So I'm actually working with the company. So I have stock in exchange for my time versus um, my money in this particular, oh, cool. but I have other pharmaceuticals that I've invested in. But the way they found me is I am friends with one of the board of directors and main investors. So again, an ecosystem play. Yep. And so we were, we had a personal friendship and we, we lived in the same ecosystem and ran in the same circles. And when they needed a business development professional that could bring some of the big pharmas to the table, mm. um, Teague immediately thought of me. Oh, amazing. Yep. And what was it about that company that impressed you so much? I mean, you pretty, you pretty much got me when you said 50% yeah. of all cancers, right? That it's, hits it's the hundred million mark. 53. Yeah. Wait, yeah. in the world of pharmaceuticals, when you say the word P53 to any big pharma, their eyes pop open. They have spent yeah. billions of dollars on this one pathway 
because it is that big of a deal in the world of oncology. A lot of oncology drugs, they only treat like one to 2% of cancer. Like mm-hmm. we are talking, this is, this will be a game changing drug that as soon as it hits the market, if we can get through clinical trials, obviously, wow. um, it will be worldwide news immediately. Wow. There must be a lot of companies going after this. Oh yeah. I mean, billions of dollars. I mean, I mean we're this not is the golden, this it sounds like the golden ticket. It is. It's called the guardian of the genome. Uh, we also call <laughs> it, there's something else they called it the Holy grail. That's right. The Holy grail of cancer. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. Um, I must admit, you know, my, my biotech pharma knowledge is not as much as perhaps it is for your other company, which you're involved in at the moment, Mind Maze, right? Yep. Um, so if, correct me if I'm wrong, but virtual reality for stroke, rehab and brain injury. Exactly. That's just actually our first product. So I'm a strategic relations advisor on this company and I'm coming on board to help them uh, lead up business development in the, in the US because they are actually a European company. They're based in Switzerland. A billion, a billion dollar valuation, which means they're a unicorn. And our first products are FDA and CE mark approved VR for stroke and brain injury. But really the ultimate goal is to be the worldwide center of brain computer interfaces. Wow. Mm-hmm. The world that you talk so fast, I'm trying to keep up here and try, try <laughs> there's just, there's just too much. You do too many jobs and, and oh God, I'm just trying to get my head around this. Okay. So you're just dropping nuggets here. So it's got a billion dollar valuation. Okay. Yep. So, so how much money have they raised then? Over a hundred million, including okay. um, investment from Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> now you're just Random. furiously name dropping. <laughs> this is outrageous. I, I had um, to drop that name. You, know, you had to, to be fair. I, I can market the podcast a lot better now. Um, <laughs> so you've used unicorn billion dollar and Leonardo DiCaprio in the same sentence, which is fabulous. Um, yep. Okay, so a uh, billion dollar valuation, raised 100 million, one of whom is, is from Leo's office. Fabulous. So tell me about what they're trying to do, how they're trying to do it, what markets they're in, um, the business model, things like that, because this is a really interesting thing for us. Um, even, at, you know, talking from an HS perspective, you know, this is digital health. This is um, sort of our bread and butter. So, yeah, I'd love to know more. Sure. So actually, uh, they are distributed in the UK and uh, a lot of Europe for, for three years now. So they are both uh, used in physical therapy type uh, environments. So rehabilitation, uh, where the re- rehabilitation center would have a large VR unit. And then one physical therapist could work with three stroke patients at once versus that one-on-one that you have in the normal situation. Uh, and we also have the Mind Pro Go, which goes home with the patient. So the patient can start doing uh, VR for uh, you know, stroke rehabilitation immediately. Like soon as soon as they've had the stroke, they can start this. And they wow. can bring it home and they can do it on a daily basis. Now, let me tell you how it works. Because essentially we're using the mirror method, right? So in the world of virtual reality, pretend your, uh, your left arm is partially paralyzed from a stroke. You yeah. Take a mirror image of the right arm layer it over the left arm and in the world of virtual reality when you move your right arm it looks to your brain like you are moving your left arm which is enough to trick the brain into thinking it is real and it creates new pathways yeah now not only do we have increased um, outcomes patient outcomes with that but we can turn off things like phantom pain with one treatment wow just showing the brain that the limbs still exist is enough to turn off phantom pain. Mm. 
And the other cool thing is it's not these reps like, okay, do 10 lifts, you know, like you would do in physical therapy. In the world of virtual reality, you're not just flying the plane, you are the plane, <laughs> right? And so it's fun, like you want to mm. do it because you're just playing a game and it's so immersive and, and interesting. But and this is a huge difference, isn't it, between innovations that are good and innovations that are great. You know, you can solve a problem for people, which is one thing, but if you can then make it incredibly fun to do, your stickiness must just be right up there. Exactly. And we're the only one that I'm aware of on the market with both uh, FDA and CE Mark, right? Like wow. we, we are it. And not only that, but they're, they're doing um, a demonstration in Switzerland next month and they're showing how we are able now to communicate with a locked in patient. Because we have uh, sensors that fit into any VR headset and what they do is they sit on the patient's skin on their face and mm. it can predict and reflect emotions in real time. So we're working on that for things like neurodegenerative, neurodegenerative disease. But it turns out we are, what we're doing is we're reading muscle intent. Mm. And so if you've got someone who's fully paralyzed, locked in patient, um, we can read the muscle intent. And so they can use then the quadrant system, right? So they can spell out words or, or use letters or what have you wow. by, by looking at it or by, by pointing or whatever. But we're re we are reading the intent of what they wanted to do just by those electrical sig signals on their skin. Wow. I imagine also, you know, for if, you, if you're reading muscle intent as well and you can then create obviously you can create lots of different things in that, in that VR world. As you say, that's one, one hand communication, I suppose on another hand or communicating, spelling out various things that they want to say. I suppose the other thing is actually genuinely just communicating those emotions as well. And obviously the, the effect that's going to have on that person from a, a mental health perspective must just be incredible. You know, we know from Parkinson's patients, just the fact they can't smile means they're unhappy. I mean, I can't imagine yep. how, how much different that is for a locked in patient unable to express all emotions. You know, it must be liberating to a point that I couldn't even fathom. And, and take it one step further. So there's an application in the world of entertainment. So they actually have an entertainment arm at Mind Maze. Um, purely because everything that they are creating is medical grade, but it has applications in entertainment. Mm. So if we're predicting and reflecting emotions in real time, you can think about gaming. You can think about um, anytime you have to see, uh, see yourself in VR, right? Um, and so you can take that a step further. For patients like Parkinson's, while we're not doing this right now, what you can imagine is if we can predict muscle movement, that means when a Parkinson's patient is looking at themselves in virtual reality, they can see a smile on their face. Wow. Right? Or things like that. Because, well, as I said, we're not doing that specifically that I'm aware of, but, you know, I'm not one of the engineers. Um, sure. it, it's, it's an easy, you know, an easy segue into that. Wow incredibly transformative and what a great example of a digital health company at its core actually leveraging that clinical credibility and actually then going a thousand stages further by going look look what we can do for not only our our patients but actually the general population in entertainment and all these different things i mean it's a really good example of how a company that, that does have a, a digital health motivation to actually get other revenue streams and, and build almost a separate business. That's, I can see why their valuation is so high, right? Exactly. You're totally right. Moving on then, let's talk about some of your other investments. You mentioned the sleep apnea company. Um, yep. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that. 
so I, we're stealth, so I can't tell about the oh, technology fine. too okay. much. But, um, but it is a very disruptive device. It's electroceutical, which uses electricity in the body. Cool. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't ask you anything about that now. That isn't really awkward. So, um, okay, so you've got a couple more. So yep. ones I've that got... I've found. Um, I've found Dance Biopharma. Yep, Dance Biopharm. It is awesome. So the way they found me is they were doing a pre-IPO round. So this is the thing about being a professional speaker and thought leader. People don't care how much money I put into things. So this was a pre-IPO round, which means the investment minimum for angels was $150,000, which is way out of my, my, you know, like bank account for a high risk pharmaceutical. I'm like, I can't, you know, that's my personal money they let me put in five figures. Like they, they said, anything you want to put in, you can put in. And the way they found me is the company doing, the investment bankers doing the pre-IPO round found me on LinkedIn. Wow. Had heard about me like and researched me and pinged me and said, we think this is a good investment for you. And within one phone call was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Here's my <Yeah>. money. <laughs> wow. wow. Um, yeah, I imagine they'd have had to done something pretty outrageously bad to stop you at pre-IPO stage putting in five figures. Um, I, it's, it's crazy. I was like, what? <laughs> like, you're letting me? And, and I'm finding this with all investments. People do not care how much money I put into it because they're, they want me on the team for other reasons, right? Yeah. Like, people aren't bringing me on for my money. They're bringing me on for my name and my expertise. Yeah. 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 So you're almost given, it's, it's almost... You're almost taking sweat equity even towards, you know, pre-IPO stage. Um, yep. And that is seemingly the value of this ecosystem. And I'll keep coming back to it, but this ecosystem that you built around yourself. And what a perfect example of, of, of how to leverage a personal brand to actually turn that into actual monetized value, right? So you're buying into yep. to pre-IPO rounds. Um, yep for far less than institutions are and other investors are perhaps I suppose, you know, even other high net worth individuals that have had careers in this space, you know, the things that you've done actually, again, intentionally, the word that you used before to create such a brand about yourself has then led to these things. I mean, I think, I, I think that's fascinating. Yep. Well, uh, so there's, uh, I do want to mention what, what they do is it's inhaled insulin with a smart connected device and a liquid formulary that's preservative free and can undercut the price of injected insulin. You see why I gave them my money right away? <laughs> I can see. I can see. Um, inhaled insulin, cool. And the right? connected device element, what does that add? Is this, is this more kind of um, stickiness so that the patient can understand what they're seeing, so that there's a log and they can track it so they don't give themselves too much or too less? Is it, you know, what, what are the different bits that that adds? So they understand because they've got about three years of clinical trials ahead. They're going into phase three, getting yep. inhaled insulin with a connected device um, to market is much better, easier than doing a pharmaceutical that's not already approved, right? right. You know, in, insulin has been on the market for years. We know what it does. Yeah. And so, um, but they understand, I mean, by next year, or the year after, if you have a medical device of any kind and it's not smart connected, you will fail. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not that's not an option now that is an absolute requirement if you are doing a medical device over the next five years yeah cool and those clinical trials and so you said they're in phase three clinical trials is that because what's the bit that's being trialed is it the, is it a new delivery system i.e the... exactly it's a drug delivery system yeah and so, fine. Uh, 
yeah, and, and it's an um, inhaled insulin has been on the market, never a liquid formulary, yeah. powdered, a powdered formulary, which has a black box warning and causes um, it. contraindicated with COPD and asthma because it makes you cough, uh, whereas uh, the Got liquid it. version doesn't. Got it. And I imagine there's quite a lot of um, diabetes patients that similarly have COPD that could do with that inhaled insulin as well in, in a formulary that doesn't make them cough, I imagine. Um, uh, yeah, incredible. Let me talk to you about, uh, talk to you about the, uh, another one. Um, rational vaccines? Yes. Yeah. So this is a vaccine for herpes. And cool. Isn't that cool? It's, it impacts about 90% of the world. And that's uh, HSV-1, which you normally would see around the lips, although herpes virus, it's a virus, so you can get it anywhere yeah. on your body. Um, and there are indications that this might be a precursor to things like Alzheimer's. We know that herpes uh, simplex one causes neuro problems. Mm. This is more than just a cold sore, mm. right? And so our goal is to, you know, to vaccinate the entire world, right? So this isn't going to impact 100 million patients. This is going to impact over 7 billion people. <laughs> <laughs> you can hit your target quicker. Yep, exactly. Amazing. And the way they found me is that it's a Teal Capital and Founders Fund. And so I've known these two companies. It's uh, Peter Teal's, yeah. you know, two of, their, two, yeah. of his, two of his funds. And um, they came to me and they were leading the round together. And they said, hey, Robin, do you, we, we set aside $100,000 um, mm. for some angels to come on, influential angels to come on board. Would you like one of those spots? And I said, wow. sure. <laughs> I'm like, it's vetted by Teal Capital and Founders Fund. Uh, yeah, here's my money. I don't need yeah. to see anything. Yeah. I did that with two companies with them. Their other company is uh, Stealth Biofarm, but it's working on immune, uh, immune um, oncology. Mm. So it's one of the very early immune oncology companies. It's, again, it strikes me as a really, really great position to be in that you you can get all these other people doing the due diligence. I mean, if, if Peter Thiel's done the due diligence, I mean, I wouldn't need to get involved and do much more than him. Um, I did nothing. <laughs> well, exa exactly. I had a phone exactly. call with the CEO, right? Like that's, that's it. And then I handed over my five figure check. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess a, a bit of a different question then um, about, about your investing. Do you have a certain amount that as, yeah, as, I assume somewhat of a high net worth individual and an angel investor. Do you have a certain amount that you are looking to give each year? Do you look at this deal by deal? Um, do you have any thresholds of, of sort of amounts that you, that you choose? How do you go about it um, within sort of a, a deal making perspective? So I, I look at my overall portfolio. So I happen to have a uh, certificate of financial planning, CFP degree, and which is just all the, the graduate level courses you need to be a, a personal financial planner. And so I look at my overall portfolio and I, I max out my 401ks and I have um, an investment account that's just at you know, Fidelity who mm. takes care of it and it's medium risk for my age level and, and what year I want to retire. So I've got balance there. And then I have usually 10 to $30,000 a year that I can put into um, either vacations or investing. <laughs> uh, interesting. So, I mean, it depends on, it depends on the year. Some years, uh, because I'm a professional speaker and entrepreneur, some years I make a ridiculous amount of money. Sure. And some years I make under a hundred thousand and I'm, because I'm investing or like, you know, investing in myself, like I'm, sure. I'm paying for PR and marketing or, or sure. whatever I'm doing. So it depends on the year. Quite interesting that it's the same pot of money that, that goes towards vacations or, or investments. That's quite a cool one. 
<laughs> exactly. Well, it's my, you know, everyone has extra money in their life, right? After yeah. they, hopefully, after they have maxed out their 401k, paid their rent, paid their health care, whatever, whatever they need to pay. Like, what are you going to do with that extra money? You can save it. You can invest it. You can mm. spend it. I just invest it in early stage pharmaceutical. <laughs> Good for you. And I imagine still enjoyable, right? Perhaps not as enjoyable as going to the Bahamas, but I imagine it could be. Well, as a professional speaker, I spend my life traveling the world. So I actually had a speaking engagement last year in St. Tropez <laughs> for a sure. week. And it was paid and a five-star resort for five Goodness days. Me. I'm like, why would I need to go on vacation? <laughs> you, really, you really don't after doing that, I suppose. How long did you have to speak for during that week? 20 minutes. Amazing. <laughs> yep, yep. And the week was paid. The week and, and it was enough to pretty much pay my rent and expenses for a month. We need to have a conversation after this podcast, and I need to, I need to get some more tips from you as to <laughs> leveraging my own speaker profile to get these things done. Um, well, that's my second book that just launched two months it is, ago. It is. It is. So let's formula. the thought leader formula. So let's talk about that. Sure. So it's literally step-by-step instructions. If you want to be a physician, you know exactly what you need to do from age 16 to age 30, your life is pretty much a, a road, right? And you know exactly the things you need to do within that road. Yep. Well, if you want to be a thought leader or known for your, uni- your unique perspective and expertise, there is no path out there. There is no degree. There is no, uh, no set of instructions on how to get that done. And so that's all I've done is I've created that roadmap and it is a template and I walk you through the steps coming up with your business model, what revenue streams you think you're going to have, your unique marketing angle, your why, your fundamental truth. I mean, literally just step-by-step, it comes with a workbook and everything. And that is literally the blueprint that you followed to get where you are now. I I created it for myself five or six years ago. Uh, I'm a project, like I call myself OCD cusp, (laughs) (laughs) which is like, I love spreadsheets. Like a Saturday night for me, like (laughs) enjoyable is like, is like looking at a spreadsheet full of numbers (laughs) and doing like a multi-year advanced planning. Like. That's my happy place. And so I created a project plan for myself. And then all I did is I turned that into a full-on system um, that was applicable to every industry. But of course, my expertise is around, you know, scientists and physicians and Mm -hmm. nurses and and medical device companies. And so I know how to turn those kinds of professions into thought leaders really easily. Like you have an hour-long call with me and I will will upset you up already. Amazing. (laughs) So how do you manage your time? I know I asked you this on a previous call, actually, um, but tell, tell our listeners um, about your time management and how you fit so much in. Sure. So and my last chapter in the Thought Leader Formula book is actually uh, time management hacks. But as a severe chronic disease patient, I have only a limited amount of time, money, and energy, right? Like I have to actually take care of my disease. And so it taught me early how to hack things. So if you are extremely intentional with all of your time and you look at your life as a business, so I look at my life as Robin Inc. And I don't do things in my personal life that I wouldn't do in my professional life, meaning I outsource 100% of my grocery shopping. I get 100% of whether it's shoes, clothes, or sparkling water delivered to my front door. Mm. Right. Um, I sold my car three years ago and I only use Caltrain or car sharing, you know, the Uber, the Lyfts. Right. Um, so I have zero time spent going to gas stations, uh, all that time commuting. If I'm in a car, I am back in the backseat and I'm productive or I'm relaxing, but I don't have that stress of driving in traffic 
parking, washing your car, like that's a lot of responsibility, mm. right? So I look at everything in my life that way. How do I make this fast, easy, inexpensive and get it done without using any of my energy? Mm. Because as you say, you know, because of, because of your condition, you haven't got necessarily the same 24 hours that other people have. You don't have the same um, amount of time to, I guess, waste. And nobody wants to waste their time, I guess, but you've got even less than, than, than the average person. Um, exactly. And so, I'm only about 40 kilos, right? I'm 88 pounds. Oh, and wow. so I like can't you know, physically carry a lot of things either. (laughs) You kind of have to figure out how to hack your life when you can't carry things when you're, you know, I'm pediatric size. (laughs) (laughs) I I guess going, going back a bit deeper into this, I'm just curious then. I mean, you've mentioned a bit there about the lack of time per day and how your condition affects you. Um, How has being a patient with a a chronic disease and an autoimmune disease influenced you in your, in your career? I mean, has it, has it really motivated you to get to where you are? Has it held you back? Is it, um, yeah, just talk me through kind of the effects of it in, in getting to where you are now. I, it motivates me because I realized about 20 years ago that if you focus on your disease and how much pain you're in or how, how hard it is to eat, um, I have Crohn's, so that's why it's hard to eat. Or um, if I'm worried about going to the emergency room next week or the operating room for, for GI obstructions, then you're miserable. You're wallowing in self-pity, right? So if you're always working on making other people's lives better, and not just a little bit better, like making a big impact in the world, it's something much bigger than your disease, mm. right? And so it's, it's all about where do you focus? What, where do you spend your, your time thinking about? Are you thinking about the stomach pain or are you thinking about, wow, I'm going to make this connection for Dance Biofarm so they can you know, start distributing and, and, and help 100 million diabetes patients? Mm. Right? Do, you, do you then get energy back from those successes? Oh, absolutely. I mean, anytime that you help someone, you, you get like this dopamine, right? Like, <laughs> bing! If, if I'm it. actually having a pretty, if I'm having like a, a bad day where I'm not feeling well, or I'm just on a recovery day because I've been in a lot of travel or something, I'll go on the, uh, IV, the Crohn's disease message boards on Facebook, and I will answer question after question after question, and I will give like encouragement to other Crohn's patients. Wow. Because I, you know, like, why not? Why not help them with things that I've learned? Because I've had this most of my life. Uh, and, and that makes me feel better. And it makes me feel like I'm part of a community and something bigger. I imagine you're incredibly inspiring to those people as well with what you've managed to achieve. Yeah. And I'm uh, actually, there's a company called Wego Health, W-E-G-O. And it's a platform of 100,000 patients who all want to be patient leaders, like speakers or be hired by companies. And so I'll be teaching a, a course to them. Oh, wow. Uh, an online course where they, can, where they can leverage their experience as a patient to become a speaker or a thought leader in that disease. Wow. I was going to ask you about the causes then that you care about and give back to, but obviously that's, that's number one on the list. Uh, there's so many. I mean, at this point, I used to spend a good 25% of my time volunteering, 25 to 50%, and I've co-founded wow. even nonprofits, one called the Organ Preservation Alliance, which was there to catalyze breakthroughs in tissue engineering and cryopreservation for transplants. Um, so I, I do nonprofit work, but now I'm like, I don't even need, I don't feel like I need to do as much nonprofit work anymore because I spend so much of my time like working for stock or, you know, very little money sometimes for very early stage companies that can impact a hundred million patients. Mm. 
I've just got a few more questions to ask you. Um, and I guess, first of all, I'd love to know, given the, the books that you've written and things, what advice do you have for, I guess, first of all, then clinician, I mean, I don't want you to read your whole book out loud. I'm sure you, you're sure you would with the amount you want to give back, but what advice do you have to, to those people looking to build that personal brand? Um, what's the kind of summary? What are, the, what are some key take-homes for them to try and do that and build their version of Robin Inc.? Sure. So the first step is to really understand your business model and your revenue streams. So if you're a clinician, you're likely making money by seeing patients, but there are other, I, I tell you to add more, you know, multiple revenue streams to your life because it just, it's a safety net in this world of the future of work. And so you can consult for startups, for corporations, for the government, you can coach people, you can be an expert witness. I mean, there are many, many ways you can make money as a clinician. You can also do professional speaking, right? So people can pay you $2,000 to $25,000 to give a keynote. And so I teach you, okay, pick which revenue streams you want to kind of focus on and what is your business model. And then we look at what is your why combined with your fundamental truth. And right there, that is the basis of your entire platform. Mm -hmm. Why you do what you do and your fundamental truth. What is it that you believe that most of the world either doesn't know about or doesn't believe. Mm. That really rings true with me. I remember when I very first left medicine, um, it was a it was a real interesting time for me with with, with identity, because when you're a, when you're a doctor, it's it's literally everything about you. It it bleeds into your personal, your professional. It's 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 everything. And then when I left medicine for a while, I was the guy who left medicine. Then I was sort of the innovation guy. Then I was the NHS accelerator guy. Then now I I finally am at a point where I think you know as you say, I found the why, I found the truth, and it's that for me the there are so many early stage companies that are fantastic that aren't getting the right financing, which is why we're now raising a fund. And so it's taken me that long to figure that out, but actually at least I know my why. And so everything, as you say, even talking about other things that I do with, with the writing for Forbes that I do, you know, that's the spin that I'm putting on this. I'm highlighting good companies that have raised good money. I'm trying to shift that conversation so that, you know, highlighting the, the best reasons to invest in things or, or the best places to invest in things or the best places for, for early stage startups to go and things like that. And it's, it, it's incredible what that actually does. And, and, like what you said before about you getting energy back from that when you see a win. It's the same for me. Whenever I'm exercising something on, on that truth, it makes me feel incredibly energized. And actually the wins along that journey are, are so much better and the highs are so much higher than even, even when I was a doctor treating patients, you know, which, which was incredibly rewarding. But actually, you know, going on that journey and finding, finding my own truth was, was incredibly useful. Oh, that's amazing. So Robin, I mean, the, I can't, time has flown here. Um, I can't believe we've been talking for like 40 odd minutes, but um, what I will say is that the way that we end these podcasts is um, we hand back over to yourself to summarize a little bit about you, a little bit about one, we'll pick one or a few of the roles that you're working on at the moment or, or summarize them all. Um, and if you've got any advice or any asks of our audience, then by all means, take it away. Well, the only ask would be go ahead and help other people and live your life intentionally. You can go to my website, robinff.com, and you can download the workbook that comes with the Thought Leader Formula book for free. Like you don't even need to buy the book. You can just buy the workbook and that will give you the template to even create your 
your own personal brand and thought leader platform, which will help you build that ecosystem of opportunity. Awesome. Robin, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And I will certainly speak to you soon. Definitely. Thank you so much.